Good morning, Firewheel Baba fellow. How are we all doing? Woo! Yeah! Yeah, man. The joy of the Lord is our strength. There should be joy up in this place. We got Jesus, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. The Savior of the world is in our hearts, minds, heart, uh, lives, and all that? Yeah. Well, there should be joy. Uh, well, I want to let you in on a little secret, okay? So uh, we have made the decision, if you'll recognize, all seats are more than six feet apart. So once you get to your seat and you are in a safe distance from everyone else, you are free to take your mask off. But once the service ends, you need to put the mask back on as we, we exit, if you're comfortable. And I realize that is a change, uh, but I wanted to let you know that right up front. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. The joy that is ours in you. It is one of the grace gifts that we receive when we place our faith in you. When we trust in you, Lord Jesus, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so this morning, we ask that whatever needs to happen in our hearts, that divine surgery in your capable hands, Lord, we entrust our hearts and our minds and our souls to you. We ask that you would do the work in us that is going to bring about a greater work through us. We love you, Jesus, and we want to lift our hands in praise. We want to commune together and with you. Lord, even now, prepare our hearts for communion together. Prepare our hearts for the word. We pray that your, uh, your presence is felt here and that you are honored above everything. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together. Good morning, everyone. Everybody, please stand. We are the children of God. 
children of God. Amen. together. Isn't that wonderful? Communion. I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. 
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And so we're going to take bread. It's the little thin top. And if you are at home, please join us. Okay? So we're going to take our piece of bread. Can we hold up our bread? What is this symbolic of? The body of Christ that was broken for us. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And so, Lord Jesus, we give thanks for this bread in remembrance of you. Lord, we are told to do this. We often get really caught up in trying to figure out what your will is, and it's pretty simple. You tell us to do this in remembrance of you. And so, Lord Jesus, in remembrance and what you have done for us on the cross, we take and we eat. Let's eat together. In the same way, also, he took the cup. And so does everybody have your cup? Hold your cup up. Don't open it yet, because if you open it and then lift it, anyway. <laughs> took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And so we open this cup. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this cup. And what it symbolizes, your shed blood for us on the cross. We are now testifying to your gospel that you have suffered and died for us. You were buried and you have risen and you will return. And so we do this as an act of obedience and a faith step in remembrance of you. Together we drink. Lord, we have proclaimed. We have followed. And as your word declares, there is cleansing in our confession before you. There is cleansing through your shed blood. And so, Lord, we turn to you for that cleansing. We rejoice today in our salvation. Thank you that we get to remember what you've done for us and proclaim your return. your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand again and sing.
few things going on around Firewheel. The men of Firewheel will be starting a study on the book of Ephesians Wednesday nights on Zoom beginning September 9th at 7 p.m. For more info, contact men at firewheelfellowship.com. Ladies, join us on Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. via Zoom for a study of Colossians raised together by Gloria Furman. The study will begin on September 10th. Study guides can be purchased from Amazon or Lifeway. Sunday, September 13th at 4 p.m. Drive through, say hi, and soak the staff at Firewheel. Fill up your water guns or water balloons and get back at us for all the years of being drenched at VBS. Our adult Bible studies have moved to Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Join us for young families, boomers and nesters, or builders and bridgers gathering. All gatherings are open to anyone. Check firewheelfellowship.com gatherings for links. For more information on these or any other events going on around Firewheel, go online to firewheelfellowship.com events, or you can always check us out on social media. All right, well, good morning. How are we all doing today? Yeah, well, if you didn't hear the announcement, uh, we have made the decision because seats are six plus feet apart and we are adhering to social distancing while in the auditorium, you can take your mask off if you feel comfortable. Do not feel pressured to do so. But once the service is over, we'd ask that you replace the mask as we make our way out into the lobby. So I want to start off with a map uh, this morning. This is a map of Rowlett. Okay, and I realize that not all of us live in Rowlett. I get that. Uh, it just so happens that God, in his infinite wisdom and sovereignty, has planted Firewheel Bible Fellowship in the city of Rowlett. There are 66,278 souls, residents, people, who live within the city of Rowlett. And they, it has become something that is, is heavy on my heart. As I drive through the streets and I look at all the houses and I see all of the cars and all of the families that are in and out of Target and Walmart uh, and the local grocery stores and on the roadways, and, and here's what I, I'm just going to ask. That as a church, we begin to pray for the 66,000. Can we do that? Because here's, my, here's what I believe. I believe that Jesus loves all 66,278 people that live in this city. Do you all agree with that? I believe that Jesus died for all 66,278 people that live here in this community. Do you all agree with that? And I believe that Jesus offers true, substantial, and abundant life to all 66,278 people. Do you all agree with that? So we're going to simply pray blessings over the community. Can you all do that with me this week? Can we pray for the city of Rowlett? Okay, so Lord Jesus, we, we together, uh, we unite in heart and mind, and we pray for all 66,278 residents of the city of Rowlett, the young and the old, those who know you and do not know you. We ask for abundant blessings this Sunday morning on the entire city of Rowlett. And we pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now this morning— uh, we are moving along in our study of the book of James, and this morning's message is entitled, Playing with Power Tools. And so I have an assortment of tools up here. Uh, can, I, can I just get a couple of grunts? Ha, 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 ha. Yeah! Yeah, man. <laughs> I am excited. So uh, I start here with a basic tool. This is a hammer, fantastic for driving nails, uh, pulling nails, or cracking open coconuts. Um, my absolute... That's not a hammer. This is a hammer. So, um, I love this hammer. I can get a lot done with this hammer. In fact, years ago when I worked for a general contractor, I was issued a sledgehammer and a K-bar, and I would get dropped off. I was the demo guy. So every day for me was demo day, and I could get a lot done. I could demolish quite a bit with that. Obviously, screw gun. Let's see. Ha <laughs> ha. All right, we're getting into some power. Um, one of my favorite tools uh, in my garage is a grinder. These things are fabulous. So y'all want to demonstrate for you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what? Before I do that, what am I going to put on? Yeah, because uh, I don't want to go to the doctor today. All right. 
Isn't that awesome? <laughs> I love grinders. Oh, those things are sweet. Um, and absolutely, one of my favorite tools is the table saw. This thing is fantastic, but it can also cause a lot of damage. Would you all agree with that? Yeah. And, and so I want to keep all of my fingers. And so um, just pray quietly in your heart. Um, well, you know what's cool about this thing? So like if I put—is that safe? Whoa! Relax. It's not on, but it could be. All right. So um, one of my favorites— Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. Isn't that awesome? Aren't power tools awesome? Come on, guys, a little grunt. Thank you. Thank you. Guys and gals. Gals, let's hear a little grunt. Yeah! Well, you know what I love about power tools? They get a lot of stuff done. And you know what? When they're used safely and the way that they are intended, they are fantastic tools. But the moment we start using these unsafely, or for a purpose that they were never intended. They can actually be dangerous, destructive, and even deadly. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about a tool that we all have had issued to us. It is a powerful tool. It is a significant tool. With this tool, we can build up or we can tear down. With this tool, we can create or we can crush. With this tool, we can construct or we can demolish. It is a powerful tool. We are turning back to the book of James. We are continuing our practical study through the topics as presented in the book of James. And as you study the book, you come to discover James is a book of practical action. So let's open our Bibles. Everybody say, Word. That in itself is a faith step, opening up the Word. Out of 108 verses, there are 54 imperatives, action words. Do this. Don't do that. Literally half of the book is application. Imperatives, they're action words. James is a book that should motivate some level of spiritual movement. And so here is an overview. If you do not have this overview, it is on our sermon buddy. It is available online, but it is also available at the front desk. Uh, here are five practical topics from the book of James. We've already looked at building faith muscles. That is the foundation of how we live out our faith, that it is action. Okay, so true faith evidenced by action activates divine power. Well, this morning we are looking at our second topic, how to use or not use this incredible tool called the tongue, and that will be the next series of messages, and then you can look at the rest of the topics. We will take them one by one. I find it fascinating how much of the book of James is dedicated to this powerful tool. 30% of the book of James is dedicated to how we communicate and how we use this powerful tool. When it is used correctly and safely in a way that is according to its intended purpose, wow, great things can happen, but we deviate from that, and things can get dangerous, destructive, and downright deadly. It is astounding to me how little training we get before we start operating this thing. But as people of faith that we desire to grow in our spiritual life, we desire to be a blessing to others. You all agree with that? Then we need to know how to use this powerful tool. I'm going to give you some communication statistics. This is how much we communicate. The average person speaks 7,000 words a day. I'm well on my way. Okay? And we've often got this idea that there's a big difference between men and women. Statistically now, there really isn't. So the average person speaks 7,000 plus words a day. Uh, on average, we spend two to three hours a day on social media. I know it's not you and it's somebody else, but somebody is spending two to three hours. I want you to check this out. Over a lifetime, if statistics hold, if like averages continue, we will spend 18 days on Twitter, eight months on Instagram, a year and two months on Snapchat, a year and seven months on Facebook, a year and 10 months on YouTube. Roughly five years, three months, and 18 years of our life is going to be spent on social media. You know what that tells me? We are, we are not very good at managing our time well. 
And you tack on to that that 93% of our daily communication is nonverbal. Here's the deal. We communicate a lot. In fact, I experienced this just yesterday. I walked into the pro shop at a golf course, and as I walked up to ask for a cup, the lady behind the counter goes, you look mad. And I looked at her, and I went, really? No, I'm having a great day. She's like, well, you walked in. You look mad. What was she reading? I had said nothing. My face. And as I spoke with her, I realized, I was like, wow, I'm always communicating. We're always communicating something. And the scriptures have a lot to say about our communication. So I'm going to give you a few verses to chew on, to think about. This is kind of the appropriate use of this incredible tool. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths that doesn't decay or tear down relationships, but only such as good for what? Building up others. That it may impart what? Grace to the hearer. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19, we are to address each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our hearts. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 uh, verses 16 through 18, we are to rejoice how often? Sometimes, occasionally, we are to rejoice when? Always. We are to pray with what? Without ceasing. We are to give thanks in all circumstances. That is a continual flow of gratitude from the heart to the Lord, moving our mouths. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We often wonder, like, God, what is your will for me? How about this? Be thankful. But I'm willing to wager that just what we read, even in these short verses, probably, maybe, doesn't encapsulate the majority of our daily commun communication. So with that in mind, we turn to James. We're in chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 19, and I find it fascinating where James begins the discussion. He, he begins by first pointing out the break. Like, how to slow this thing down, how to stop it. It's kind of like those when we first learn how to drive. I have a 14-year-old son. He's getting real excited. He's like, you know it's only two years. And I'm like, oh, yeah? Says you. But I remember those days. Don't you remember when you were first learning how to drive? Wasn't it exciting? The accelerator, the steering wheel, all the places you're going to go, and all how fast you can get there. Isn't that why it was so important that people taught us how to use the brake? Before we went plowing down the highway in that two-ton deathmobile, we first had to learn how to slow down and stop. Well, the same is with our mouth. We need to learn how to apply the brake before we just run people over. James 1.19, know this. Pay attention. Don't miss this powerful principle, my beloved brothers and sisters. I love that James addresses us tenderly as a pastor and a shepherd. He's not pointing his finger down. He is teaching us. And if we have the humility and the meekness to receive this spiritual teaching, then you know what? It is going to be a blessing to our relationships and our walk with God. Here it is. Let every person be what? Quick to slow to, and slow to. This is an all-inclusive statement. You will notice it is not addressed to some people. In fact, it says, let every person, meaning every person. Now, specifically to the believer, but I will add, even the unbeliever, if they apply these principles to their communication, they will still be able to experience the benefits of it. This is a recipe for healthy communication between us and others and between us and God. We are informed that first and foremost, our mouths are a secondary device. Our primary device, in fact, has our mouth beat two to one. We have often heard it said, but yet so rarely applied. God gave us two ears and one mouth. We should use them what? Accordingly. But here's, here's the issue. We may have, may have that idea in our mind, but we have a tendency to outpace our ears. I heard one person tell me that God put our tongues behind bars, and yet words keep breaking out. 
Slowing down to really listen takes incredible discipline and patience. It takes humility. It takes a humble spirit to listen. To really slow down and hear the word of God taught. To seek to understand. To really slow down and hear another person talk. The blessing of a listening ear. To slow down and listen to our spouses or our kids or our grandkids or our neighbor, or that person. You know that person. You're in a hurry, and all of a sudden you see that person, and you know, oh, they're a talker. Can I just act like I didn't see them? We don't seem to have time to listen, but we have ample time to communicate. A person who can't stop talking can't hear what others are saying and won't hear it when God speaks. A person that can't stop talking can't hear what others are saying and won't hear it when God speaks. And what's interesting is how James here connects hearing, speaking, and anger. Did you all notice that? That somehow there is a spiritual connection between being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Which actually seems to make the opposite true— that if I am slow to hear and quick to speak, then I will be quick to what? Anger. And I believe we have all been there, haven't we, in those moments where we're, we're getting more and more upset and, and our ears close and our mouths start moving faster and faster like that New York City subway with all of the graffiti and smell of urine. You know what I'm talking about? And what is unleashed are those dangerous, destructive, and relationally deadly words that demolish our friendships and they, and they cut deep into our spouse's heart and they grind on our children and coworkers and any other unsuspecting, innocent party, those unrestrained words that shoot out of us like bullets. hitting everyone and everything in their path. It's the destruction, the hammer of the hot temper, where we set out to nail that person to the wall. It's the passive-aggressive and divisive posts and emails and text messages and phone calls. It is that, that bird that seems to fly when we're on the highway. It's snarling slander. It is the gastric acid of gossip. Those vulgar outbursts. It is the dangerous recipe that brings about relational and spiritual death. It kills our marriages. It absolutely tears our kids down. And you know what? It destroys our testimony. When we are slow to hear and quick to speak and quick to anger, it is a sure sign that our hearts are sick. You see, our mouths are like our faucets at home. Let me explain. Just recently, there was a report, apparently the water in Rockwall and Heath isn't safe to drink. I don't know, it's like a 10-day order or whatever. And so the order essentially says, if you're going to drink the water, you've got to boil the water. But you can shower with it and brush your teeth with it. And I'm like, I don't know if that all makes sense there, but apparently there's something wrong with the water. Now, if I go to a home in Rockwall and I put my glass underneath the water faucet and I pour a glass, I'm told that it is not safe to drink. So the question I have for you, what is the problem? Is the problem the glass that has received the water? No, the problem's not the glass. Is it the faucet that's the problem? No, it's just the valve. What is the problem? It's the source of the water. The same is with our mouths. 
You see, when poisonous words, when destructive words, when unhealthy words start coming out of our mouth, the person who's receiving it, they're not the problem. We have a tendency to believe that when we start speaking angry words, we're like, it's your fault I'm talking this way. No, they're just the recipient. The mouth isn't the problem. In fact, the problem is the source of the words. As Jesus has told us that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It turns out that our hearts can actually be filled with anger, and all that proceeds from the mouth then is, is yucky and dirty communication. Nothing good comes from it. We're told in James 1.20, what good comes about through our anger and our angry communication? What good comes through it? Nothing. James 1.20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That is, anger and how it is expressed never brings about healthier relationships or greater spiritual intimacy. Ever. I have heard some claim that when they are angry, it's righteous anger. You know, like Jesus overturning the temple, uh, tables in the temple, or Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, where we're told, be angry and do not sin. As if that gives us some license to anger. Let me dispel that myth. If we are yelling, red-faced, or on the verge of physically lashing out, it's not righteous anger. If we're giving person the cold shoulder or the silent treatment or those passive-aggressive jabs, all the while our bodies are screaming. It is not righteous anger. If we are setting out to control or correct that other person's faulty perspective, it is not righteous anger. If we are making threats to unfriend a person because they share a differing political or religious view or any other view, it is not righteous anger. If our communication is being motivated by anything other than grace, truth, love, and the gospel— Something has gone spiritually wrong. And family, it is not a vocabulary issue. It is a spiritual issue, a heart issue. That is why in James chapter 1, verse 21, we read, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Take off that dirty language. Be cleansed. Bring that dirty heart to the Lord and like cleansing soap, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We receive the word of God with this like readiness to apply. And here's what we discover. The word of God is cleansing. It purifies the heart. We are told in the scriptures, though my sins are like scarlet, I shall be made white as snow. It is through the word that we hear and learn of the gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried and he has risen. It is through hearing the word of God as the spirit moves on our hearts that we receive the Lord Jesus Christ and though our sins are like crimson, we are washed pure. It is through the word that we hear the gospel. It is through the word that we learn of the spiritual life as we live out the gospel. But we have often gotten off track. And here's what I mean by that. We can know the word and still be spiritually sick. We can know the word and still be spiritually sick. We have at times in the church confused biblical knowledge with spiritual maturity. There are those who are biblically knowledgeable, but they're still in spiritual kindergarten. And there are those who are a little short on biblical knowledge, and yet they're somehow in spiritual graduate school. And here is the difference between the two. Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. 
See, it is not enough that we just hear the word. It's not enough that we memorize the word. It's not enough that we translate the word from its original languages. It's not enough that we dissect the grammatical, syntactical, theological, or doctrinal significance of the word. That's not enough. Because when it comes down to it, the only question we can ask at this point is saying, are we doing it? And this morning we have this wonderful, concrete example. What is God's will for my life? James 1, 19 through 20. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so we receive it with meekness and the innerness of our being, and then we seek that supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit to actually apply it to our lives. Family, this is the pathway to a spiritually healthy life. An active, daily study of the Scripture with immediate Spirit-filled application, that leads to a spiritually healthy life. An active, daily study of Scripture with immediate Spirit-filled application leads to a spiritually healthy life. But what often happens is we live our life and we try to tack on the spiritual life. And we do not experience that health, that abundance that Jesus talks about. We need to first prioritize spiritual life below the rest of our life. We have the power to do what the Word teaches. That power comes through the presence of Christ in us and the Holy Spirit. It's not our own power. It is the power of God in us. And here's, here's, a, here's a thought. If the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us, I believe it is powerful enough to help us keep our mouths closed. Do you think that power is strong enough to do that? Do we think that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is strong enough to empower our words so that it imparts grace to the hearer? Do you think he's strong enough to do that in us? But here's the deal. We can hear this teaching and still not do it. You know, some believe themselves to be healthy spiritual Christians, and yet their mouths tell a different story. Verse 26 of James 1. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, deceives his heart, this person's religion is what? Worthless. The word worthless, it means to no value, to no use. James would ask, what good is it? The obvious answer, no good at all. If somebody believes themselves to be spiritually healthy but can't control the words they use, they are deceived. This is the person that does things spiritually in public, yet behind the scenes, it is something else entirely. Last week, I called it stinky shoe spirituality. Y'all remember what I was talking about? If you weren't here, I'll just recap. My boy, it was his birthday. He wanted to go to Taco Bell. We went to Taco Bell. Then we went out to get a new pair of shoes. Buying shoes, remember that? As kids, it was awesome. He picked out a new pair of shoes, but he took his old ratty, nasty shoes off, but he wanted to keep them. I have no, why, no idea why. I didn't want to even touch them with salad tongs. But anyway, he put them in the new box. He put on his new shoes, and he ran out of the store like... He run, ran faster, jumped higher, but I had the box under my arm, a new box, and it looked like I had a new pair of shoes, but just open the box, and it was that stinky old pair of shoes, and that's how we can live our Christian life. We can look all shiny on the outside, but just open the box. This is the person who praises in public, yet yells obscenities in private. Reading scripture in public, yet inflicting verbal wounds in private doing acts of service in public, yet in private serves only self. Please hear this. A person who sees themselves as a faithful, healthy Christian, yet neglects to notice the glaring character defects in themselves, they're delusional. 
A person who sees themselves as a faithful and healthy Christian yet neglects to notice the glaring character defects in themselves is delusional. God is not confused. He does not believe or follow the bait and switch. Hey, Lord, look over here, but not over here. Look at all I'm doing right here. But let's not talk about this right here. God's not confused. And know what? And you know what? People who are closest to us aren't either. They know well the duplicity. It's the great family secret. It's the hidden sin. It's the privately held pain that is covered with a thin veneer of religion. James calls it worthless religion, family, a faith that is on display only at certain times and certain places. It's not real faith. True spiritual life permeates the whole of the life. Out of you will flow rivers of living water. When there's true spiritual life, there's actual life that flows out. There is no such thing as compartmentalized Christianity. Real spiritual life permeates the whole. And you know what? True faith is actually evidence. It's actually evidence in the words that we speak, the words that we write, and how we communicate. So I have a question for you. Out of the 7,000 plus words we're going to speak today, and like I already said, I'm well on my way. Out of the two to three hours that somebody else spends on social media today, because I know it's not us, out of the 93% of our daily nonverbal communication today, how much of that communication is going to show a distinct, profound, progressive work of Christ in our life? How much of that communication is going to show a distinct, profound, progressive evidencing of the work of Jesus in our life? And how much of that communication is going to tell a different story? (laughs) And then we'll end with verse 27. Remember the old adage, if you don't have anything nice to say, get to work. Verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. When we talk about widows and we talk about those who are orphans, what are we talking about? We're talking about people who can't pay us back. We're talking about being of service and not expecting anything in return. If we can't say anything nice, we need to get to work. And we need to get our eyes off of ourselves and our eyes off of everyone else and what they're doing and what they're saying. We need to just get to serving. And we pick up a mop, man, we mop. And if we're not good yet, we grab a mower and we mow and we talk to her. What can I do to serve you? How can I serve in the local church? How can I be of service to others? There's a significant work that happens in our life when we set aside ourselves and we are of service to others. And then he adds, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So here it is, be of service and be holy. A few applications. First, learning to apply the break. It seems to me that the one clear application of this passage we've studied is to slow down. To reverse our common approach to communication because we're so, so prone to be slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. That's our natural posture, by the way. We don't need Jesus' help. We do that all by ourselves. We don't need Jesus' help to make cutting or crushing remarks. We don't need his help to be vulgar or uh, be divisive. We don't need his help to tear people down over politics. I do that all by myself. But through the filling of the Holy Spirit, check this out, instead of hostility, there can be humility. Instead of fighting, greater faith. Instead of tongue lashes, love. Instead of grinding somebody down, grace. Instead of criticism, encouragement. Instead of complaining, gratitude. Y'all, words fitly spoken are like apples of gold and settings of silver, tells us the book of Proverbs, imparting grace to the hearers. And so the question is, what kind of communication, what kind of words are we going to speak this week? We already know the words that don't require Jesus' help at all. 
We have actively studied the word. Let us seek his empowering to immediately apply the word to our life. Secondly, turning off the faucet. If what, in the heart, what is in the heart is gross and yucky, and only you, well, there's two people that know. God and ourselves, right? Like we know when our hearts aren't, aren't pure, right? Do we know? I mean, it talks a lot about deceiving. So we can be really deceived. But yeah, there's times where we're like, my heart isn't good. And so that is a great opportunity to not open the mouth. To not turn the faucet on. There are times where I have to put myself on a spiritual timeout at home. And I'll just look at the family. I'm like, look, (laughs) nothing good's going to come out of here. I'm going to go upstairs now, and I'm going to go pray. Because there's something wrong, like, all here. And it's a great opportunity to just be of service. To put our heads down and serve somebody else. So I just want to say this. Don't post it. Don't post it. You may think it's righteous. And you may think you're so right. But if it in any way, shape, or form is not motivated by grace, truth, love, or the gospel, don't post it. Don't say it. I've been told that words are like toothpaste. Once it gets squeezed out of the tube, you can't get it back in. And then get out and serve. And then finally, living a life that is truly spiritual. And I want to encourage you in this. Don't just tack the spiritual life onto your life. Let's begin every day with the spiritual life. You see, the spiritual life comes about through spiritual things. It is an active daily study of Scripture with immediate spirit-filled application. It leads to a spiritually healthy life. And so we begin every single day at the beginning of our day. And some of us are like, well, the best part of my day is the end of the day. And I'm like, you're going to spend an entire day potentially walking in your own stuff? And I want to walk in Holy Spirit. So I want to start my morning with a time of prayer and of Scripture and of study and of reflection and meditation so that then maybe if I remain humble and semi-meek, maybe throughout the rest of the day I can be of service to God and others, His will being done and not my own. Living a truly spiritual life, an active daily study of the Scriptures, immediate Spirit-filled application that leads to a spiritually healthy life. Lord Jesus, thank You for this morning our time together to study, to grow. We pray that it would have its work in us. Bring to remembrance, to mind, the things uh, that we need in the moments that we need them. Lord, we're about to go out into this world, and there are so many things that we're going to be bombarded with and hit with, and there's so much that's going on in the greater world, and there's so much stuff going on in our inner world, and there's so much going on just all around us. And we pray today that First and foremost, you would give us a heart of surrender before you, of submission before you. Do your work in us so that then you can do your work through us. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for our salvation today in your grace. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, family, if you have not given your life to Jesus, you have not begun the spiritual life, and you want to know how to begin the spiritual life, I want you to go online, I want you to click on the faith and baptism link, and I want you to fill it out. If right now you hear that, and you're like, that's way too many steps. I can't be doing all that clicking. That's okay. It may not be time yet. But when you're ready to take that next faith step, we're ready to take it with you. Click on that faith and baptism tab, fill it out, and I will contact you. I also want to encourage you to be generous in the support of your local church. If this is your church home, then family, be generous as the Lord is generous to us so that then we can start talking about 66,278. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand together. Today was kind of challenging, wasn't it? Yeah. It's good stuff. Now it is time to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. 
Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, you are loved. Okay, let's put our masks back on. If you've brought your offering, our offering boxes are on the wall. And as we leave, have a wonderful, wonderful morning.